welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text message at 209-340-3115. Have an amazing rest of your day. Let's try this. Let me tell you a story. I want to take you back to 2012. July of 2012, I'm the junior high pastor here at Shelter Cove, and we're getting ready to go to camp. This was the biggest year we had ever gone to camp, the most students we'd ever taken to camp. The students were ecstatic about going to camp. I was always kind of on the fence about camp. I could take it or leave it because I knew I'm probably not going to sleep for about five days, and I also knew I'm going to smell teenage boy odors that no human nose should have to smell. But I also knew I'm going to see the Lord reach down and grab some of these students. I'm going to see God light some of these students up for him. I'm going to get to connect with them in, in just really cool ways. Camp was always one of those things. I came back very physically tired, but very spiritually energized. So we take off to camp. Now, I had started seminary that spring. I was getting my master's in theological studies So I had books with me. I was doing summer courses. I remember I had a a systematic theology textbook about that thick, and I had a church history book. I had assignments to do. And I'm going to be straight with you. I went up to church camp feeling just a little bit bit cocky, a little arrogant, because I'm looking around at all these other junior high leaders, all these other junior high pastors, and they're playing dodgeball and archery and like burping contests. And I had to read the higher, more refined things of God. I'm learning about soteriology. And I just felt a little bit arrogant. I felt a little bit uh, high and mighty. And the Lord has a very gracious way of kicking our butts when we need it. Because I learned a lesson at that church camp, and it's a lesson I've never forgotten. It is one of the most helpful lessons I've ever learned about God. And and if you're tracking in our notes, here's how I want to point it out for you. One of the most helpful lessons I've ever learned about God, I haven't even forgotten it to this day, And I learned it at this camp. I didn't learn it from my textbooks. I didn't learn it from my systematic theology. I learned it from a very humble junior high pastor up there. Here's what I learned. You ready? I learned that God's ways are paradoxical. His ways are paradoxical. What I mean by that is they're backwards from how we think things should work. They're upside down from how we think things should work. They're counterintuitive. Does that make sense? I'll give you a couple of examples. Jesus in Matthew 16, he says to the crowd, whoever would love his life will end up losing his life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See the paradox? The paradox there is if you try to keep control of your life, you're going to lose control of your life. You be the one that calls the shots, your life's going to spiral out of control. Give control over to Jesus, you're going to find everything you need. I didn't say everything you want, but everything you need. It's a paradox. Give up control to actually find control. The control just won't be in your hands. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Paul says, I, 
I suffer beatings, I suffer imprisonments, I suffer hardships, and it's no trouble for me to do this because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See the paradox? When I come to the end of my rope, that's when I'm strong because I no longer rely on my own self, I rely on the spirit of God and that's where I'm strong. So Christian strength isn't in self-reliance, it's in dependency, dependency on God. You see the paradox? It's when I'm weak, I realize where my true strength is. It's paradox, that's backwards. Man, the, the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, how much more paradoxical could this get? Jesus drops a nuclear bomb on the crowd. He, he tells this story about a Pharisee who's in the temple before everyone, and the Pharisee is listing off his laundry list of moral achievements. God, thank you that I do everything I'm supposed to do, and I avoid everything I'm supposed to avoid. Thank you that I am righteous, and I'm not like that tax collector over there. Meanwhile, you have this tax collector in the back of the temple court, can't even look up at God. His head is buried into the ground, and the text says he's beating his chest. And with tears coming down his face, he says, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus goes, it's that guy that went home justified. Not the Pharisee, not the one that peacocks and parades his morality. It's the one who admits he's a sinner. How backwards is that? How many people are coming into church trying to paint themselves up as being more righteous than they are? That's not how we're saved. We're not saved by trying to offer our goodness at the altar. We're saved by admitting we're sinners. We're saved by admitting defeat. Do you see it? It's paradoxical. It's backwards. And once you see this, it's all over the Bible. It's everywhere. I didn't even tell you Romans 6. Like we're, we're made free by enslaving ourselves to God. That's how we're made free. You don't free yourself by indulging every desire. That's slavery. You free yourself by enslaving yourself to righteousness. Paul in Roman, or in First Corinthians, First Corinthians, he says, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the proud. It's everywhere. Now, why on earth am I telling you this? We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks titled Who We Are, going through our core values as a church. This is who we are as our church, our DNA. We're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. We're a church built on prayer. We're a church built on serving. We're a church built on community. We gotta do this thing together. And we're a church built on generosity. And today, I wanna show you what I call the generosity paradox. It is one of the greatest paradoxes in all of the Bible. And it's one of the reasons why we're built around generosity. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs 11. Turn with me to Proverbs 11. While you're turning there, I was going to drink some water, but this is more important. I need to give you a word of caution. I need to caution you. You're going to fall into one of two groups today. There's only two options. There's no middle ground. 
you are either going to fall into the camp of what the Bible calls wisdom, wise people. You will either be wise or you will be a fool. Those are the only two options you have today. The camp of the wise, I hate to break it to you, is small. Wise people are going to see this paradox and they're going to see the beauty, they're going to see the wisdom, they're going to see the truth behind it. And they will not just theoretically get it, they're going to actually practice what we're going to read here. However, another camp, and, and I hate to say it, but a lot of people are going to drift into this camp. They'll be fools. They'll be bound up in what the Bible calls folly. Because they're going to see this and hear this and read this, and they're going to respond with doubt. No, there's no way that could work. No, there's no way. I doubt that that could ever possibly come true. They'll respond with apathy. Yeah, whatever, preacher man, I don't really care what you're saying. Honestly, bro, I'm here because my wife's been hassling me. I don't even really care what you're saying. I'm just trying to get her off my back. Or they will mock this. Look at these idiots. Look at these fools. Giving up of their money? How stupid could they be? How backwards could they be? They will scoff at this paradox. And here's the deal. This paradox has never been proven wrong. Fools have tried to beat this paradox for thousands of years, and every single one of them have lost. Let's read. Proverbs 11. Pick it up in 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. That's just a fancy way of saying you reap what you sow. Now look at 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Let me pray real quick. We're gonna need the Lord's help. God, please give us eyes to see and ears that hear. Spirit of God, awaken our minds, enlighten our understanding to see the beauty and the truth of this paradox and to actually walk in it. I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Did you see it? Did you see the paradox here? It's okay if you missed it because I'm going to spell it out in your notes. You ready? Here's the generosity paradox. You are made richer through generosity than through greed. You are made richer through generosity rather than through greed. Chad, what do you mean by made richer? Are you talking about just kind of intangible riches or are you talking about tangible, actual riches as well? Yes, and I got more to come on that. This is one of the greatest paradoxes in the Bible. Give of your money and it will make you more wealthy. How backwards does that sound? Like some of you are accountants. Some of you are math people. You got your Excel spreadsheet up right now. You're like, um, oh, well, actually, Chad, I'm doing the calculations and that's not going to work out. <laughs> Listen, if we were just in a theoretical world, you might be right. 
but we live in a world that's held together by the God of the universe. He upholds it by the word of his power. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's designed how this works. And he's trying to dial us into how money actually works, not how we think it works. This is the great paradox. Give and you will be made richer. Here's what Solomon says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You got two people here. One is giving freely and only is made richer. Another withholds and only craves more. One is hoarding and stashing, squirreling away everything that they can get. And they're never satisfied. They're only made more insatiable. Now, there's some threads here in this text I got to pull on. There's some threads I got to pull and stretch out to make sure we understand what this is saying. And and the first one I want to point out in your notes is that uh, Solomon says that this man's giving freely. This person is giving freely. Now, King Solomon writes the Proverbs, most of them. What authority does King Solomon have to speak about money? I'm glad you asked. King Solomon made way more money than you could even dream about. He made more money than you could probably even draw up on a calculator. King Solomon would mock our wealth. Well, I don't know, Chad, I've got a pretty stacked portfolio. I've got some investments. My real estate's doing well. Okay. King Solomon reigned in Israel for 40 years. He brought in 50,000 pounds of gold every single year he reigned in Israel. He made gold so common in Israel, silver was considered to be of little value. Some of you got portfolios diversified in silver. Solomon would laugh at you. He had an entire fleet of ships go out into the known world and just find him gold. Israel is primarily an agrarian society. Money at that time was based in livestock and food. Solomon has hundreds of thousands of heads of cattle, of sheep, of goats, of chickens, lambs. I mean, everything. This man had enough food, enough grain, enough wine, enough fruit to feed 20 thousand people every single day of his life. Not once a week, not once a month, every day. That was his daily allotment of food. Madison Square Garden can only hold 18,000 people. Solomon could take care of that whole joint, put another 2,000 people in the parking lot every day. He had a level of money that you and I can't even dream about. So we should probably listen to what he has to say. One gives freely, yet grows richer. So when I say give freely, here's what I mean. Uh, I mean that they're not giving because they're guilt-tripped. They're not giving because they came to church and and got a drive-by guilting. You ever experienced that? I grew up Baptist, man. That was like standard operating procedure. They're not giving because they think, if I give more, Jesus will love me more. Look right at me. If you're giving with that motivation, you're wrong. You have misunderstood how Jesus works. You have misunderstood how the gospel works. Giving is not 
transactional. If I give more, Jesus will love me more. You cannot be loved any more or any less through the blood of Christ. If you are in Christ, all sin forgiven, all condemnation forgiven. If I'm hearing amen, I'm walking out of here. Your giving doesn't secure more favor. Your giving doesn't secure more love. Giving freely isn't some prosperity gospel garbage. There's a bunch of clowns on TV with crazy makeup and crazy outfits, and they'll say these outlandish, unbiblical things on TV. They'll stand up there and say, if you give $100, God's going to return $1,000. If you give $1,000, God's going to return $10,000. It's not warranted anywhere in the Bible. It's a scam on TV for these pastors to make money. It's unbiblical. It's sinful what they're doing. That's not giving freely. No, giving freely is seeing that God's way of handling money works better than our way and delightedly doing it. Now, I'll be the first one to say, there are times where it's hard for me to give. It doesn't always feel freely and joyful. Not always. And especially those times, I'm like, I need to give because this is gonna help get my heart right. That's fine, there's space for that. But the ideal, the motivation is, hey, we're gonna give freely, not because we're under compulsion to do this. The next thread I wanna pull on, this one's kind of like a braided rope. There's some, some more strands here that I gotta tease out. Solomon said that one gives freely yet grows all the richer. What does this mean to be made richer? I asked you earlier, is it just intangible? Is it actually tangible? Let's tease this out here a little bit. When Solomon says made richer, he's speaking about a couple of things. Number one, you're made richer in your personal character. Dave Ramsey has this great quote. He says, generous people are more attractive than greedy people. And he's not talking about like physical appearance. Like if you got an ugly mug, you can give all the money you want. You're still gonna have an ugly mug. Sorry, there's no way around it. He's speaking about something deeper, your character. And I was talking about some of the pastors here. I was talking about this. I was like, what a great quote. Like generous people are just more beautiful. They're more attractive. There's something about them that's more beautiful. What is it? We were trying to put our finger on it. And uh, a guy named Bill Barnett here, he's one of the pastors. He goes, it's because you're acting more like Jesus. You're acting like the person whose image you share. You're, you're acting like your creator. Jesus is the most generous person ever. It's the most beautiful aspect ever. We're more like him. We're more in step with the spirit when we're generous. Your character is beautified. You're, you're a better version when we give because we're more like our maker. Uh, second of all here, you're made richer in your faith in God. There's something about money that is kind of a put up or shut up aspect of life. You could sit here and tell me till you're blue in the face, you trust God, you believe in God, you, you are gonna rest in his faithfulness, cool, but I'll believe it if I watch you handle your money God's way. Money has this way of just separating the wheat from the chaff. 
those that talk and those that do because we care about our money. Our money is very near and dear to us. And as I said earlier, on paper, this doesn't look like it should work. On paper, this looks counterintuitive. You mean if I give, I'm gonna be made richer? The wise will step out in that. Fools will turn it away. The wise will practice this. And it may happen in a week, it may happen in a month, it may happen in a year, it may happen in five years, but they're going to find God is faithful in ways they never imagined. God blesses them in ways they never imagined. God brings peace to areas they never thought possible. God takes care of them and provides for them in ways they never thought possible. And you know what happens when they do that? Their faith grows. Few things will enrich your faith like trusting God with money. I'll be straight with you. I could preach the best sermon of my life, but it will reach nowhere into your soul like a soul stepping out and trusting God with money. Victor and his team could get up here and lead a banging worship set, but it will do nothing for your soul like stepping out and trusting God with your money and then watching God be faithful. I can't, I just can't preach that hard. I can't grow your faith in that regard. Your faith is made bountifully more rich when you trust God, especially with money. Third here, you're made richer just in your enjoyment of life. Uh, I love what Solomon says here. In 25, he says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. Joy is not just found in consumption. Joy is not just found in reception and receiving. This is why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. How many times do we have to see celebrities and billionaires make their life all about consumption and watch them turn into miserable animals? How many times do we have to see people make life all about themselves and it turns them into to little devils? Like, aren't there enough examples out there of the self-indulgent exploding their lives for us to realize, hey, maybe, maybe joy's found in something else. The one who waters will himself be watered. You wanna find more joy? It ain't about satisfying everything you crave. Hey, only the wise are gonna hear that. Fools will scoff at that. Finally here, you're made richer in your actual finances. Because those first three that we covered, those are kind of intangible, right? Solomon is very clearly saying, you are made richer in your actual finances when you give. Now we gotta be careful here because like I said, there's some prosperity gospel preachers, there's some lunatics out there who have mangled this truth. They've done a really poor job with this. They have promised things that the Bible does not promise. So I wanna to try to just let the Bible bear its weight. When Solomon in 24 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer, he's speaking about money. That context is money. It's not just intangible areas of life. He says, when you give, literally your finances are blessed and made more rich. 
I can't stand up here and say, if you give a certain amount, God is going to do X, Y, or Z. I cannot promise that because the Bible doesn't promise that. I can't say if you give, he's gonna cure you from whatever disease. I can't say if you give, he's gonna get you that job you've been hoping for. I can't promise that because the Bible doesn't. Here's what I can say. I can say the prophet Malachi, when he speaks to Israel, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of God and watch what I do. Watch, bring it in and watch how I bless. Watch how I pour out abundance on you. Watch how your barns overflow with food, how your vats brim with new wine. You're gonna have everything you're looking for but bring the tithe in. You see the paradox here? Give. Don't hoard your money. Give. And the blessings will, will fall upon you. Not just intangible, but tangible. The Bible's very clear. You handle, God, you handle money God's way, he'll bless your finances. I can't promise an amount. I can't promise a time frame. I can't promise any of that. But the principle is clear. You do money God's way and he'll bless your money. Your actual money. Uh, pastor who used to be here, John Harder, he recently passed away. He had a phrase that's stuck in my brain for years. He says, God's plan works. You just have to work God's plan. The third thread I, I wanna pull, pull here before I give you some challenges says this. It says protection from trusting in money. Verse 28, verse 28 is a beast of a verse, especially for us here in the West where money is abundant. 28, Solomon says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. The temptation for a lot of us is to, it happens slowly, it happens real sneaky. Uh, we will start to rest and trust and put our hope in money. Money becomes our security, money becomes our identity, money becomes what we're leaning on. Solomon, a man with more money than you and I could ever understand, says the ones that do that will fall. So giving is almost like this built-in protection. It's a reminder to our hearts, money isn't God. God is God. It's a daily, regular, monthly reminder, whenever, however it's set up for you, your money is not God. It is not to be trusted. It's not to be worshiped. It's to be stewarded for the kingdom. Now, when it comes to like trusting money, it's not a money amount that counts. There are very wealthy, wealthy people who don't trust their money. They handle it very wisely to the glory of God. There are broke people who worship and idolize money like $6 to their name, worshiping the snot out of money. It's not a dollar amount. It's a heart stance. The temptation is for you to go, well, shoot, man, I'm on hard times. There's no way I could be worshiping money. It's all those wealthy people. Careful. Careful. Giving reminds the soul, this is not God. God is God. So I've been trying to think here, um, how is the enemy, how is the enemy going to take what I've shared with you, take what the word of God has put before you and like spiritual judo try to use it against you? 
How's he gonna take like your momentum and, and try and flip it on you? How is the enemy gonna take you from being someone who's wise and try to move you into the camp of a fool? I've been thinking, how's he gonna do it? And if I had to guess, I would say he's going to prey upon your doubt. That would be my guess. He's, my, he's probably even whispering to you right now. It's not gonna work. You won't have enough at the end of the month. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not gonna work. Because I don't know where your finances are. I, I don't know how your money looks in your life. Here's what I do know about the United States. The average American in the United States has $6,194 of credit card debt. The average millennial, my generation, who makes six figures, living month to month on their paychecks. One third, 36%, it's actually over one third. One third of Americans cannot handle a $400 unexpected expense. They'd have to go into debt for that. 41% of Americans who are nearing retirement say they need a miracle to retire safely. So I'm going to guess the weapon of the enemy is going to be doubt. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. And in that space, I want to give you just some loving challenges. I want to give you some challenges that we can punch back with. Here's the first challenge for you. Maybe it's time you surrender your finances to God. In recovery, there's a saying your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you eyeballs deep into addiction. Maybe it's time for you to realize my best thinking got me into mountains and mountains of debt. So maybe the best thing I could do is wave the white flag and go, God, my way's not working. Maybe it's time I start trusting your paradoxical backwards way of doing money. Because I've been thinking, if I could just get more, if I could just get more, I could just get more, then it would be fixed. How's that working? So maybe it's time to go, God, no longer my way, your way. Second challenge here, make a budget, start tithing. Make a budget, start tithing. How much money are you bringing in and line item number one on the budget, before the mortgage, before rent, before food, before gas, before clothes, before all that stuff, I'm going to tithe. I'm gonna give to the local church. Because what we see all through the New Testament, God's plan for salvation is to give through your local church to the mission of God. All through the New Testament, that's the principle we see. One gives freely, and yet grows all the richer. This is where the rubber meets the road. Get your money in order. How much am I bringing in? I'm gonna tithe first and then figure out my expenses. I would never ask you to do something I'm not doing personally. My wife and I, we tithe 11% here to Shelter Cove. And then we are giving to two mission organizations and a church in Texas comes out to just under 15% of our income. And I can tell you 
without any lies, without, with a clear conscience, giving of that money is probably the best investment, the best thing I do with my money. God has blessed me in ways I, I can't even begin to, to describe. Make a budget, start tithing. Third, attack your debt. Attack it, kill it, get rid of your debt. Look right at me. I know you want to put your notes away because you're done. Don't. Look at me. The borrower is slave to the lender. I didn't make that up. That's from the Bible. That's from the authoritative, sovereign mouth of God. The borrower is slave to the lender. You want to know how you can grow in giving? You want to know how you can grow in generosity? You got to get the shackles of debt off. Dave Ramsey, once again, has this killer quote. Here's what he says. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. This is foolishness. We are walking ourselves into slavery. You're walking yourself into unneeded stress. Kill your debt. Pay it off. Because then what you'll find is you'll be freed up to give. You'll be freed up to give freely and watch God grow your riches. We're going to be offering a class here next Thursday. It's coming up this Thursday. It's called, a, I think it's called Doing Money God's Way, something like that. Uh, building Your Finances God's Way. It's coming up this Thursday. You can sign up online, sheltercovelive.com. If you're at a space where you're like, I need to wave the white flag and get help, this is a great practical first step. But I'm sure when I laid out, hey, you need to start tithing. I don't know if you felt it, but I could feel it up here. The room shifted. People were getting into their camps. They were. Because some of you were like, yeah, game on. And a lot of you were like, I still think I can do it my way. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the Lord for help. God, we need your help. Speak to us. Make us wise. Help us, God. Help us, God, to see that your way is better than our way. There's a reason why you talk a lot about money. It's not because you're greedy, Lord. You're the most generous being ever. Um, money has this weird way of capturing the affection of our heart. And if we're not careful, Lord, it'll displace you. Uh, I pray that we would order our money wisely so that we could give freely. We could see your faithfulness. We could bless others. We could be enriched by that giving. And that ultimately we would give you the glory and honor you are due. God, your ways are better than our ways. You're so much smarter than us. Help us to really see that and buy into it. For your beautiful name.